morning, and it's good to be back with you all. Very A uh, lot of familiar faces, praise the Lord, and some new, uh, but I do want to just say thank you, Pastor, for giving us the opportunity to come and present this morning what God's placed upon our hearts, and God's timing is always perfect, amen, and um, we try so hard, and I can testify with you, Pastor, I'm excited about having a church family soon, amen. Um, I can testify for the traveling, <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm, my wife and I both are looking forward to when that, those, these days will be over, but we know God has a plan behind all of them. But I just want to begin by giving my testimony, because everything begins and ends with God. And um, what we're endeavoring to do in Libby, Montana, without Christ, is nothing more than just religious formalities. And um, I just want to begin by sharing my testimony, how God led my wife and I to this point. Um, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home all my life, heard the gospel, if you would have asked me at an early age, do you know Christ is your Savior? I would have said yes. I can remember praying a prayer when I was five. I can remember doing all those things, um, showing up to church, a church just like this where I heard the gospel, um, went to Sunday school and junior church, memorized the verses. That was my life. Um, but when I became, uh, got into my teenage stage of life, I really began to wander from the Lord. And I just began to do things in my own strength, my own power. I'd still show up to church every Sunday because that's what I was told to do. My dad's been pastoring for 18 years now, so I knew how to do it. I, know, I knew what to look like. I knew what to say. But if you were to watch my life, it was anything but what a Christian should act like. It was anything but what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And at 18, I joined the United States Army, was stationed in Alaska. And that first year, I really lived for myself, the flesh, the devil, everything, Anything and everything that the world said, this is going to bring you a good time, I did it. And that was my lifestyle. I just lived it that way. And um, we all know that the Bible says sin is pleasure for what? A season. Meaning, there's, yeah, you'll get that pleasure, but for a time. And then it's emptiness. And that was my life. And in December of 2013, I remember going to a church service. And the Lord convicted my heart that morning that if I were to die that day, I'd spend eternity without God. Not because I was some bad person, because I committed some big sin. Um, it always amazes me when you ask young people, what is sin? Define for me a sin. They, they name all the big ones, right? Except for the ones they're convicted of, right? And that's the way a lot of us live, isn't it? We think we're good people by nature, but the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. And um, that morning, I realized that if I were to die that day, I'd spend eternity without God. Because I did not have a personal relationship with Him. And that morning, I accepted Christ as my Savior and it became personal to me. And the Lord changed my life. And a couple months later, the Lord called me to preach, was on a missions trip to, in, in Alaska to a remote village. That's when God got a hold of my heart, First Samuel, when God is calling Samuel. And those were the verses that God used in my life to call me to the ministry. And about a year later, was on another training mission. And I was sitting out there on my Humvee getting ready to go and was reading my Bible right before we were to get ready to start. And Romans 15.20 was the verse that God called me to church planting. Talking about preaching where no man has preached, striving to do those things. And that's when God laid upon my heart church planting. And about a year later, the Lord led me to Crown College where I met my wife, Lindsay. And we were in a missions conference uh, the first semester we were dating. And a missionary came up, presented, and gave those same exact verse, Romans 15.20. And right after, um, during the invitation time, my wife went forward. And if you've ever been to Bible college or if you've ever been in a relationship where the spouse or I should say your significant other boyfriend or girlfriend goes forward and you don't, 
one or two things is about to happen. Number one, you're about to break up. Or number two, it's about to be one of the greatest moments of your life. And I'm just sitting there, and the altar call's going on. I'm thinking, what should you go forward for? This may be good. This could be bad. I don't know. But it was amazing God led us because of the fact that she said that verse was the verse God spoke to our heart that night. And God solidified in our hearts that God was calling us to church planting together. We got married soon after, and we now have Winston. He doesn't know it yet, but God's called him to work at Libby with us as well. But um, we're so grateful for that. Um, we did have the opportunity of being up at the Passage Northwest, and that's really where everything began for our hearts in seeing the town of Libby. And I'm grateful for Pastor Sexton and the Temple Baptist Church and their investment in us. We did spend two and a half years up there, and we had the opportunity to travel with the young people every semester going throughout all the Northwest, Montana, the Rocky Mountain region. And we would go through this town called Libby, Montana. And the more we would go through, the more I began to think, man, there needs to be a good church here. And I just began to research, do some things on it, history of it all. And I began to pray, Lord, would you send somebody to this town? And I want to say, when you pray that prayer, be careful, because God may send you. And um, that's what we began to do. I just began to pray, asking God for wisdom. And um, the Lord began to lead us that direction. And last year, really, God began to significant. Uh, to really put in my heart, this is what he wants for us to do. And we were at a missions conference at Faith Baptist Church, Pastor Greg Boyle, and they had a missionary come and speak on the woman that gave her two mites to God. And at that point in time, I was struggling with giving up my finances, saying, Lord, we have this secure job. We know what we're doing great things here. You're doing a great work here in our lives. And what's going to happen when we step up by faith the church plant? We're going to have nothing now. And the man came up and he preached and he said, you know, I can't tell you what happened to the woman that gave her two mites afterwards. He said, but she gave everything to God. And based upon the principles of God's word, I know that God was faithful in supplying her need. And that's when I surrendered to the Lord. And I said, Lord, okay, I surrendered that. And um, the last summer while we were at camp, God gave me these verses that really put in my heart that this was the next step for our lives. In 2 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast another line, another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And where Heron, Montana is compared to Libby, Libby is the next region beyond. And God worked in my heart and solidified in my heart that this is the next step for our lives. But I love verse 17 because he says this, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We're not going to Libby, Montana to start another church just to have another church there. We're not going to Libby, Montana because of the fact it's a new adventure and we're bored with what we were doing. We're not going there for those reasons. We're not going there for man's glory. We're going there because we want ultimately God be glorified there. We want when people look at the church that we're going to begin seeing God plant, we want people to say, you know what? You don't worship man there. You don't worship other things. We worship God. And God gets all the glory. And that is our ultimate goal when we go to Libby, Montana, to see souls saved for the glory of God, to see lives changed, people discipled, God doing great works, do a great work so he can be glorified. And that's why we're going to Libby, Montana. And we do have a quick video we're going to show here. And if it does work, great. If not, I'll just come up and go a little bit over the video. Um, technology is funny. But this is about a four-minute video just talking briefly about what God's led us to do, giving some video clips of the town of Libby. But please pray for us. We are out here raising support. And um, we're praying that we'll be there by June of 2024. Um, we have come into contact with several families up there. 
that are looking and seeking for a solid church. So you pray for them as well and pray for us that God would continue to be glorified in our travels. Thank you once again for allowing us to be here and we're looking forward to what God's going to do. wilderness of the Northwest United States. In the great search to find fortune and own their own property, people believed that the westward expansion would bring a better life. Because of the idea of manifest destiny, pioneers saw it as their duty from God to populate and control this area as they saw fit. Just like every civilization that tries to make its own way without God, public immorality and rise in drinking gambling, and sexual immorality increased rapidly in the West. Though the eastern side of the United States has seen great revivals, the West has never truly had a spiritual awakening. The gold rush triggered a religious movement in 1848, but today people are moving in droves to a now God-forsaken land that is filled with Wicca and Satanic practices, along with countless souls who don't even believe that there really is a God. The state of Montana alone has over 200 small, remote towns with populations less than 1,000 people. Montana has 32 counties that have no gospel-preaching church. These small towns that span hundreds of miles apart leaves born-again Christians having to travel up to an hour or more to attend a Bible-believing church in another county. My name is Daniel Grover, and this is my wife Lindsay and our son Winston, and we are the Grover family. While serving in the United States Army, God began to work in my heart about reaching the Rocky Mountain region of the United States with the gospel of Jesus Christ. After graduating from Crown College, God gave my wife and I the wonderful privilege of serving at the Passage Northwest in Heron, Montana for the past three years. During that time, God began to work in our hearts about seeing a church being planted in the town of Libby, Montana. Libby is in the northwestern region of Montana. Located along Highway 2, it is just south of the Canadian border, east of the Idaho Panhandle, and west of Glacier National Park. With a population just under 3,000 people, Libby has no gospel preaching church. Some of Libby's earliest residents moved to this region for the rumored coming of the Great Northern Railroad to the coast. The early settlers and prospectors built their homesteads along the Libby Creek. Today, Libby is a town that has grown from its humble beginnings of prospectors and pioneers to a town of many modern-day conveniences, businesses, stores, healthcare facilities, schools, and much more. Libby continues to grow in size as families are moving into this area. Without a gospel-preaching church, how will the people of Libby hear of Jesus Christ? How will they come to know Him as their Savior? The Bible says in Romans 10:14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We also know that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So please, pray for the laborers currently serving in the Northwest, that God would continue to bless them and use them for his honor and for his glory. Pray for the people of Libby, Montana, that they would see the light and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and trust in Him as their personal Savior. Pray that God would continue to send forth laborers into this needy harvest field. And lastly, will you consider partnering with us as we endeavor to reach Libby, Montana with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We know that God is able. Turn your Bibles to Joshua For nearly 200 one. years, pioneers have been. One. <laughs> Amen. If you have any questions or anything, feel free um, afterwards. We do have a display table up in the back, um, as well as prayer cards and things of that nature. We have things for all of the young people as well, if they would love to grab something. And uh, we would, uh, they're more than welcome to do that. But Joshua chapter 1 this morning, Joshua chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And read down to verse 6. And many of us are familiar with the book of Joshua, especially Joshua chapter 1, probably verse 8. It's a very well-known verse. Many people memorize it. I know growing up as a young person. And oftentimes that is what I think we can put as the theme of Joshua 1.8. But as I was studying this recently, there's three times God, when he's speaking to Joshua, mentions this phrase. And I want to preach on the phrase this morning. And we're going to begin reading Joshua chapter 1 down to verse 6 where the phrase is first, first mentioned. But in Joshua 1 verse 1, the Bible begins by saying, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. In verse 6, be strong. And of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And the thought by God's grace I want to give to you this morning is stated in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9, where God tells Joshua three times Be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of a good courage. We're living in a day and age today where God is looking for men and women to be strong and of a good courage. We're living in a generation where many people are just uncommitted, faithless, and really, to be honest, just living a life of disbelief. Even amongst God's people, there are people today that are not fully convinced that the word of God is the answer for their lives. And although they may not say it, they live it. And what God is looking for, like he was in Joshua's time, is for people to be strong and of a good courage. Our homes need Christian parents to be strong and of a good courage. Our schools are looking for young people to be strong and of a good courage. This church is looking for its people to be strong and of a good courage. Our community needs it. Our nation needs it. And when you come to this passage of scripture, God is speaking to Joshua. And by way of introduction and reminder, Moses, the great leader of the nation of Israel, has just gone off. 
and to talk about Moses and his greatness and what kind of man he was, you read through the Pentateuch, God and Moses had a great walk together. The Bible says that God talked to Moses as a friend talks to a friend. Man, what a compliment that was. Think about having such a close walk with God that God himself says you're, it's like a friend talking to a friend. That was who Moses was. Moses wasn't just a great spiritual leader. He was a great leader in general. Um, when you, I don't know where I read this, but somewhere it talked about the fact that at West Point, they consider Moses to be one of the top 50 greatest leaders of all time. Just a great man. A great man that God used to see great things done. But we know in the word of God that Moses, because of his anger and disobedience, instead of speaking to the rock, what does he do? He smites it. He hits it out of anger. And God says, because of your disobedience, you're not going to be able to go into the land of Canaan, but I will let you see it. And God lets him go out onto the mount. He gets to see Canaan and says that God, God buries him. And then comes this man, Joshua. And I don't know about you, but those are some big shoes to fill. I don't know if you've ever had a job where you've been promoted and the person before you did a great job, but there's a lot of pressure on this man. Joshua had a lot of responsibility. Now, not only did he have a lot of responsibility, but I'm going to remind you who the people he's working with. These are the people that said every other week, it seems like, when you read the Bible, God, you brought us out here to die. God provides for them. God, you brought us out here to die. This was not easy people to work with. You think Americans are stubborn. Read, read the Old Testament, and you'll find out we're not too far from the tree. Amen? These were these kind of people. They were hard to deal with, hard to work with, and that's who God has called Joshua to lead. But God says to Joshua three times as they begin to enter the land of Canaan, be strong and of good courage. Friend, there's never an easy time to serve God. There's never a time in your life or my life where it's going to be, man, this is a, there may be moments in life where you feel better about being strong and of good courage. But the longer I have served the Lord, the more I've become to realize there's never an easy time to serve God. Every day we have to determine to be strong and of a good courage. I would like to go over the definitions of what these words mean. Strong means simply this, to fasten upon, to seize, to play the man. To fasten upon, to seize, to play the man. When God is speaking to Joshua and saying, be strong, he's not talking physically. He's not telling Joshua, go out and wait, do some weightlifting, you know, find some trees and start pumping them. That's not what God's saying to Joshua when he says, be strong. What he's telling Joshua is, it's time to seize what I've called you to do and to play the man. What I've called you to do through my word, it's time to seize my promises, and it's time to do that. It's time to be strong. In October 16, 5055, Latimer and Ridley were two men that were Christians in England. And if you know anything about history at that time, it was very unpopular to be a Christian in church history of that time period. To be a Christian in England meant you were forsaking the church, the state church, and renouncing all of that and being believed as a heretic. And these two men stood for the truth of God's word, and because they stood, they were to be burned at the stake. And it is said while they were getting ready to be burned, Latimer turns to Ridley and says this, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. 
If I were to describe what it means to be strong, that's what I would put as a definition. And what God is looking for is Christians here today to be strong and to seize the promises of God's word and to play the man and the woman that God has called us to be. That's what God had called Joshua to do that morning, that day. That's what he's calling us as Christians to do today. You find, secondly, the word courage. I'll give you a couple of other people's definitions of courage. Winston Churchill says this, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. The great theologian John Wayne, that's a joke, once said, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyways. But if you're going to go with the definition of what this means, this word courage means, it means this, to establish, fortify, to be alert, increase, and prevail. So not only has God called us to be strong, to seize, to fasten upon, God has also called us to prevail. And I want to remind you this morning, we serve a prevailing God. I don't serve a defeated God this morning. I don't serve a God that is buried in Mecca where every other year i got to make a trip to his graveside. That's not the God I serve this morning. I don't serve a God found in dead religious formalities. No, I serve the one true living God this morning that is sitting at the right hand of the Father, victorious, interceding for me today. And I want to remind you today, as God was reminding Joshua, why can we be strong and of a good courage? Because we serve a prevailing God. The Christian life is not the plateauing life where we go from down to defeat, up to a plateau. No, the Christian life is the ascending life. And what are we ascending to? We're ascending to Christ himself. And God is reminding Joshua, hey, as you prepare to go into this land, as you prepare to do battle and all you're about to face, I'm going to remind you, Joshua, not once, not twice, but three times, be strong, be of a good courage. Why? Because I'm with you and we're going to prevail through me. And friend, we need to have, we need to be reminded today to be strong and of a good courage. Why? Because we serve a prevailing, victorious Savior this morning. It doesn't matter how bad it gets in our lives. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter with all the confusion that's going on in our world. We can be strong and of a good courage like Joshua. Why? Because our God is with us and for us. So the questions we have to answer, the question we have to answer is, why be strong and of good courage? We have the answer here, but why be strong and of a good courage? Number one, why be strong and of a good courage? To live a life of victory. If you look at verse 4 and verse 6 again, the Bible says this, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down the sun shall be your coast. And then in verse 6, <coughs> excuse me, only be thou strong, uh, be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. The Christian life, like I said, it's not a life where we just hunker down. It's not a life where we're saved and, bless God, I'm going to wait till the rapture. No. The Christian life is a life where we see God do victory in and through us. Do you realize that the sin in our lives that we battle with, God wants to have victory over? He already has it. We just got to claim the promises and act upon them. 
Do you realize that here at Galilee Baptist Church, there are still souls to be won for Christ in Stevensville, Montana? There's so much more to be done for God. And if we're going to do what God has called us to do, to live that life of victory, to see him overcome the impossible, we're going to have to be strong and of a good courage. Because when they entered into the land of Canaan, we all know the rest of the story, there's a lot of things that they went through that they had to be strong and of good courage to see victory. It didn't make any sense to march around the walls of Jericho seven days, seven times at the last day. How were they able to do that? Because they were strong and of a good courage. The giants, they were battling in that land that God had already said, if you read throughout the whole Pentateuch, God says, I've already given you this victory. But the giants and the people they were about to fight, they had to be strong and of good courage and to be reminded that God had already claimed the victory. Friend, God's already claimed the victory. God's already claimed, he's already conquered sin, death, hell. He's already done it all. We just have to step up by faith and claim the victory he's called us to have. The word of God says this in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Psalm 108, 13 says this. Through God we shall do valiantly. I love that. For it is he that shall tread down our enemies. That same God that was in that time of Psalm 108, 13 is the same God alive today. You can do valiantly. The Bible doesn't say you can just have a so-so win. He says you can do valiantly, and it says this. He will tread down our enemies. It's not just a little bit of, oh, I don't know if they won or not. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they didn't. No, it says that he will tread down our enemies. Friend, that same God is alive today. That same God is still conquering sin, death, and hell. That same God is still saving souls. That same God is still transforming lives. We have to proclaim his truths and his promises. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why can we live a life of victory? Because Jesus Christ is our victorious Savior. No matter what we go through, no matter what heartache, no matter what struggles you're going through right now, no matter what's happening in your life and you're thinking, I want victory, but there seems to be no light at the end of this tunnel. Have no fear. You serve a victorious God today. And although it may not happen on this side, the greatest victory that we will ever see is when we enter into eternity with our Savior face to face. That's the greatest day of victory. And I want to remind us today, as we step out by faith, God is looking for people to be strong and of a good courage to live a life of victory. Oh, we've seen too many defeated Christians, haven't we? How many Christians should be in this church this morning, but they've allowed sin, pride, and other things to defeat their lives? And God is saying, you need to be strong and of a good courage to live a life of victory. We see, secondly, not only to live a life of victory, but secondly, in following the word of God. If you would read with me verse 7 and 8 of this passage, the Bible says this. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
Friend, we must be strong and of good courage in following the word of God. Why? Because in the human mind, it makes absolutely no sense. There are things in God's word that God calls us to do that, humanly speaking, make absolutely no sense. <laughs> and when God calls us to follow his word, we have to be convinced and we have to seize his promises. Otherwise, we will never follow according to what the word of God says. We know that as fathers, God is looking for men that are going to follow his word all the way. God is looking for mothers and women that are going to say, I'm following God's word and raising my children. God is looking for young people that are going to say, by God's help and God's grace, I'm following his word and not the crowd, not the world, not the flesh. Because we're living in a world today with so much information and everybody's saying, you need to follow this person. You need to follow that person. You need to listen to this person. Even some good meaning people. But may I say this, ultimately what we should be following and listening to is the word of God. And in today's age, it's going to take us being strong and of good courage to follow this book. Because we're coming to a time now in our country where it's not just going to be enough to say, I'm a Christian. It's going to come at a cost. We're going to have to seize and believe that this word is the truth of God's word and it will never change. And in order to do that, we have to be strong and of a good courage. The first thing we find in the word of God and following, it says this in the middle of verse 7. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. And following God's word, we cannot compromise. Oh, we're living in a world of compromise. I have recently heard of this big name preacher. And if I said his name, any of you would probably be familiar with him or at least his dad. Well-known guy. And he came out about two weeks ago and said this, that's okay for sodomites to preach behind the pulpit using the word of God. What is that, friends? That's compromise. We say that's awful, but how often in our lives do we compromise the word of God? When God pricks our hearts and how we should raise our children or what we should or should not allow in our homes, yeah, how often do we compromise? Oh, this is okay, God. I, I know what your word says, but I'll, I'll follow it 90%, but give me the other 10 and we'll be okay. The word of God says this, don't turn from the left or to the right. If you read and continue reading in the book of Joshua, there comes a point in time where Joshua and the leaders of the nation of Israel are confronted by these weary travelers who happen to be kings in, neighboring, in the neighboring parts of Canaan who are scared to death and decided we're going to try to trick these men to make a compromise so we can live. And the saddest part of that chapter is the fact that you never see once Joshua go to the Lord and ask for wisdom. Never once do those men ever ask God, hey, what about these people? How should we engage? Should we give them the peace treaty or not? What they do is they act upon their own accord, make a peace treaty, and for the rest of their time in the land of Canaan, they have to deal with those neighboring nations. Why? Because they turned to the left and to the right. Friend, we have to determine by God's help and God's grace, and I know we're not perfect, and I know we're sinners saved by grace, but we need to determine every day, I'm following this book. I'm not going to turn to the left or the right. I'm not going to give in to the pressures of the social lifestyle we have today. I'm not going to give in to these things. I'm going to lead my family by God's help. I'm going to do these things by God's grace. I'm going to follow God personally by just, not, by just simply sticking to the truth of God's word. Friend, the truth of God's word is simple. We're the ones that mar it. And what God is asking for us to do 
is simply just stick to the truth. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Deuteronomy 5.32 says this, So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Proverbs 4.27 says this, Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. What the Word of God is simply stating there in Proverbs is, look, if you turn to the left or to the right, you've turned your foot to evil. And we as believers, we like to have what's called a gray area, don't we? Oh, this is questionable. I don't really know. So-and-so's doing it, so it must be okay. And they're, they're doing a great job serving God. The Bible says this, when you turn to the right or to the left, he says, turn your foot from evil. The only good I've found in this world to turn to is found in this book. Keep our eyes upon the word of God. The Bible continues on and says this, not only turn to the right hand to the left, but it continues on in verse 8. This book of the law should not depart out of thy mouth. My question is not only are we living a life of turning not to the left or the right, but what do we speak about daily? You know, what we speak about is what we love, what's in our heads and what's in our hearts. And I'm ashamed to say this, I don't speak enough about God's word. As believers, God's telling Joshua, he says this, look, when you're following my word, you need to be speaking about it. We will speak about things we love, don't we? We speak about people who we love, right? We talk about these things, but the Bible is simply reminding us and saying this, what you need to speak about my word daily. When is the last time we've talked to a friend or a spouse about the word of God? What God's been doing in our lives. When is the last time, if you're working, when's the last time you've gone to a co-worker and said, hey, can I share with you God's put on my heart? It's not just enough to be known as a good person. But, friend, what we need to be known about in our lives, in our families, in our communities, is people that speak about the word of God. Because what we speak about is what we love. And if there's anything we should love the most, the more, any, everything, it should be the word of God. Because it's God's word. The, Psalm 1-2 says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. It goes on and says, Not only should we be speaking, but we should be meditating. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Friend, what we meditate upon as well is what we love. How often do we meditate on the news all day? <laughs> We've had a lot of news recently, haven't we? Some that's preferred that's gone on in Montana. It's easy to meditate on those things, isn't it? <coughs> it's easy to meditate on the recent score of your favorite team. It's easy to think about all these things. But the thing we should meditate upon, not just when we do our devotions, but all the day long, is the word of God. When is the last time we intentionally thought about God and his word all day? We all have problems. We all have things we have going on in our life. God understands that. Joshua had a lot of problems. But God doesn't give the excuse to Joshua. God simply tells him, meditate on my word. Think about me. He doesn't say just in your devotions. He says all the day. He says day and night. The Bible continues on and says this, Psalm 104, 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. You know why we call devotions devotions? Because it should be something we love. It shouldn't be a duty. 
the psalmist says this, when I think of God, it's sweet. When is the last time we thought about God and it was sweet? As believers, it's tempting to think about God and think about all the things we need him to do for us, isn't it? It's easy to think, Lord, I have all these prayer requests lined out. The psalmist says, look, my meditation of God is sweet. I think about him all the day long. If you want to know what it looks like to meditate upon God and his word, Philippians 4 eight is a great verse that defines this. It says this, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, <coughs> if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's what meditating upon the Lord looks like. Because I've been saved long enough, and I'm going to tell you, the news is not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. You're not going to find anything in this world that's going to get better. As a matter of fact, the Bible says at the end of the time, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. The only place I have found that has soothed and calmed my soul is found in this book and the God of this book. And what we as believers need to be meditating upon and thinking upon is what God has been telling us daily. Thinking upon him. We have enough negativity in this world. We have the hope, the light of the gospel. Oh, may we think upon him and his word. We see lastly, we should also obey it. That thou mayst observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. You know, a lot of us love the end of verse 8, right? The prospering part. Joel Osteen's made a whole ministry out of that word. Prosper gospel. People make, people make millions talking about it. But you know, the fact of the matter is, in order to see the prospering, and by the way, that may not be physical, it's spiritual. In order to see that prospering, we have to be obedient. I've heard a lot of times, and even my dad was preaching on this recently, a lot of people say, pray for me, give me more faith. May I say this, friend, we all have equal amount of faith. There's not one person here that has less faith than somebody else. We all have equal access to the same God. But what differentiates a Christian that's doing great things for God and a Christian that is living the average Christian life, as we would say, is one word, obedience. God says this, if you want to see me do great things in your life, if you want to prosper, you've got to be obedient to my word. Why, why do we see so many things happen in our life? And we think, God, why am I not prospering here? God, why is things not happening the way I think they should? Oftentimes, I have found personally, it's because I'm not being obedient to the word of God. I read this quote recently. It says this, expectation without effort is entitlement. Expectation without effort is entitlement. And before we go on the rabbit trail of all the people we call entitled, may I remind you, there's Christians today that are doing the same exact thing. We, want, we have expectations from God, don't we? We expect these things to happen in our lives, but we put forth little to no effort. We're entitled. And friend, may I remind you, God has to do nothing for us. We don't deserve a thing from him. Salvation alone is enough. But if we want to have the Christian life of victory and seeing God work in our lives, we have to be obedient to his word. Isaiah 119 says this, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. 
That the key to eating the good of the land, though, is found that first phrase, if. If. And he says, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. What separates us from seeing God do great things in our life? I dare say much of it is obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And if we're going to be obedient Christians to the word of God, we have to be strong and of a good courage. We see lastly in verse 9, and I'm closing up. Isaiah, uh, Joshua 1, nine says this, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, <coughs> whithersoever thou goest. Lastly, why be strong and of good courage? Because God's always with us. I love this verse here because he gives a promise to Joshua. He says, look, you, know, you want to be strong and of good courage? Why am I telling you to be strong and of good courage, Joshua? Because I'm always with you. Why go to Libby, Montana, where there have already been church plants and things have failed and other things are going on, and I'm sure we're going to have a whole lot more once we get there. Why do that? Because God's always with us. Why be strong and of good courage in a workplace where people openly mock God? Because God's always with you. Why lead your home as a father when everybody else is saying this is the way you're supposed to lead and you're supposed to do this? Compromise here because God's always with you. Why be the mother to raise your children even when they say, I don't want to listen to you and they have all these excuses because God's always with you? Why be the young person to stand up in your school and serve God because God's always with you? And what God is trying to remind Joshua, as I'm trying to remind us this morning, is simply this, friend. We can be strong and of a good courage for no other reason but for this reason. God's with us. I don't have to worry when I go places if God's there or if he's not. If he's not listening to me, if he's not caring about me. No, because he is. He's there with me. When it says, be not afraid, neither be made, for the Lord thy God is with thee. That word means, the word with, means this idea that it's face to face. He's right here. And friend, that same God, 4,000 plus years ago, that was with Joshua through the good times, through the bad times, is the same God that is with us here this morning. And it doesn't matter how difficult life may be. It doesn't matter what you're going to go through. You can rest assured in 2023 and the years beyond, if the Lord tarries and you live, that God will be with you. He will never fail thee nor forsake thee. In conclusion, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. The Bible says this, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, it is he that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Friend, people are going to fail you. <laughs> Your best friend, it doesn't matter who it is upon this earth, they will fail to you. But I serve a God that will never fail you. It doesn't matter where you're at in life, God will never fail you. And it goes on and says this, not only will he not fail you, he won't forsake you. When we forsake him with our sin and our pride, God still doesn't forsake us. When we go our own way, when we do decide I'm going to compromise the word of God and I'm going to go my own path, we still serve a shepherd that will still go and find us. He won't forsake us. And I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I want to encourage you by God's help. You serve a God that's not going to fail you nor forsake you. Why be strong and of a good courage? Because we serve a God that's always with us.
the question I have for us this morning is simply this. What will we do with our lives? Are we going to determine by God's help and by God's grace I'm going to be strong and good courage? Or are we going to say, you know what, I can take it or leave it? Friend, our families need it. Our homes, our communities, and our workplaces are looking for people to be strong and of good courage. By the way, that doesn't happen because of us. It happens because of him. And it's not just some once in a moment. It's not just coming to this altar one time. It's a daily thing. On Thursday afternoon, when things go bad, that's the time to be strong and of good courage. What will we do today? Will we ask and determine by God's grace, Lord, every day I'm going to ask you, help me be strong and of good courage. We need that this morning. What God could do with this group of people <coughs> could change not just Stevensville, Montana. It could change the world. But we have to determine to be strong and of good courage. Pastor.